Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. Well, on a day like today, we focus on the blessing and the gift our mothers have been in our lives, giving us birth, uh, nurturing us as infants, uh, comforting our tears, guiding us through to maturity, And it's also a day when mothers especially ponder the gift that their children are to them as they look back over the years. There are lots of passages in the Bible that we could turn to on Mother's Day. But the one that I want to take us to might at first seem a little bit unusual. It's definitely a story about motherhood, but it's not one that we normally read at this time of year. We actually normally read it at Christmas. I invite us to consider the special call to motherhood that God gave to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Motherhood or or parenting in general is a, a high and a holy calling for everyone. But the call to motherhood for Mary, well, that was incomparably high. She would bear and mother the Savior of the world. Well, you'll recall how the Story goes, Mary found out that she was to become a mum. The timing, for, from her point of view, actually couldn't have been more awkward. Uh, Luke records it this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, uh, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Uh, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Well, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Well, to make the best sense of this passage, that there are some historical bits of information that we really need to take into account. Well, we'll start first with the characters in the story. We don't know much about the background of either Joseph or Mary. Uh, Joseph's family obviously came originally from the town of Bethlehem, and way back in his lineage was King David. 
Uh, we uh, know that he was a carpenter in the town of Nazareth, and there's a tradition that Joseph was a lot older than Mary, and, well, he may even have actually been a widower, but we, we can't be certain about that. There's also speculation that Joseph died sometime after Jesus became a teenager. Mary was equally unknown. Uh, scholars speculate that she was in her mid-teens when all of this happened, which would have been a usual time in that culture for young women to marry. Well, one other thing we do know about Mary and Joseph is that they were poor, at least at this stage in their life. They didn't come from old money. And we can work that out from the value of the offering that they gave at the temple uh, after Jesus was born. Well, the text says that at this time, Mary was pledged or betrothed to Joseph. Now, if their engagement was anything typical uh, in the culture of the day, it had all been arranged or negotiated by her parents. And there were two distinct stages in the process. The first stage was engagement, which lasted several months, and that was followed by the second stage, which was formal betrothal. And from betrothal onwards, it was difficult for a woman to back out of the marriage without you know, bringing huge shame on herself and her family. Uh, betrothal was almost equivalent to marriage, but without living together. It was like being husband and wife only without the intimacy, and to end that relationship required a formal divorce. At the end of the betrothal period was a marriage ceremony or a celebration, and that typically lasted several days. Well, it was during this time that Mary had a divine visitation from an angel or a messenger from God, announcing that God had chosen her to be the mother of Jesus. Now, angels don't feature often in the record of the Bible, apart from on very special occasions when God was announcing something really important. Uh, we only have fleeting accounts in the Bible concerning the nature of angels and what they're like. Uh, suffice it to say that they're spiritual beings who operate on a different plane to our rational, materialistic world. Gabriel first appears in the scriptures in the book of Daniel and then in announcing the birth of John the Baptist, and then, of course, of Jesus. Now, it, it, it's easy for us to read the story too quickly and, and to miss some of the inevitable emotion and trauma that Mary must have gone through. I mean, how do you tell the man that you're about to marry that you're going to become a mother and he is not the father? I don't know, maybe it went something like this. Sweetie, are you listening? Mary, I've said it once, so I'll say it again. I can do two things. Two things at once, yes, I know. Uh, but we really need to talk. And Joseph, Yeah. I need you to listen. I am listening so hard right now. I, you can't even imagine how much I'm, I'm concentrating on on you and the words. I'm overwhelmed by your concentration. Can you, can you just stop for a second, please? Mary, I would love to stop for a second, but I can't. Why not? We're gonna be married soon, and I just, I just want everything to be perfect. Joseph, I love your heart. I really do, but you know, not everything has to be perfect, and that's okay, because we don't know what life is going to throw at us, you know? Right, but I, I still want a house worthy of you and, 
And to do that, I, I, I've got to work, because a man's... Man has uh, got to have a plan. Have I mentioned that before? A time or two. Mary, I have so many plans for us. This table, this is where we're going to have our meals together, and, and, and I've made it big enough for, for to seat some little ones. For down the road, of course. About that. Where did I put that chisel? Joseph, I need to tell you something. Something... Something unbelievable. Did I put it in that shelf? I was visited by... by an angel. Yeah? And he, he told me that I was highly favored. Mm-hmm. And it all felt... it felt like a dream until he... he told me something. And the instant he said it, I knew that it was true. I just used it. I just had it. Joseph, are you listening to me? Yeah, that, that sounds really great. Joseph. Got it. I'm pregnant. To be true to church history, we, we do need to acknowledge that this account of Mary's pregnancy is, well, sometimes the source of controversy. You know, was the virgin birth a fact of history or simply a fable that covered up the fact that Joseph and Mary had, well, been fooling around before their wedding night? Some say that a, a virgin birth announced by an angel does violence to sensible thinking. Now, others like me, happily accept the biblical narrative as accurate because if you, if you actually believe in the existence of an all-powerful creator God, well, it's not that difficult to accept miraculous or immaculate conception. Well, we can only begin to imagine the anxiety roller coaster that Mary must have traveled after the angel departed, the uh, potential consequences of being an unwed mother in those days were unconscionable. She ran a huge risk of being disowned by her family or, or even actually put to death. Well, of course, we know the story has a happy ending. Uh, Joseph's original plan, once he found out, was to discreetly divorce Mary rather than accuse her of being unfaithful. But then he too had an angelic visitation in the form of a dream, and essentially Joseph received the same message about the child that Mary was carrying. But, but Joseph's decision to stand by Mary, well, that wouldn't have come without a cost. That they would have both been the butt of rumours and a, a whole heap of unqualified speculation. Uh, many would have assumed they'd been sleeping together before their wedding. So for Joseph to accept fatherhood of Mary's child meant actually accepting a, a lot of suspicion and unspoken innuendo. We, we may not know a whole lot about Joseph, but I actually reckon he was quite a guy. Well, on, on Mother's Day, what, what are some lessons that we can learn about motherhood from the life of Mary as she took on this task of being mother to Jesus. 
If you have a Catholic background, you'll recognize these verses that we read before as, as foundational in venerating Mary as the mother of God's son. And an extreme view almost puts Mary on the same level of divinity as the baby Jesus she bore. The typical Protestant view doesn't go quite that far, but it does recognize that God especially chose Mary for a momentous assignment. So what what are some lessons that we can learn from Mary's example? Well, the first one that comes to my mind is this. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I mean, one of the things that Mary's story tells me is that there's no predicting whom God might use to do the most amazing things. Mary was an unknown teenager in her nation, and God selected her to carry and mother the Son of God. Have you ever looked at a photo of the people that you went to school with and, and noted what people in your class have done in life since? Who were the people way back then who were perhaps predicted as most likely to succeed? When I was uh, around nine years of age, my uh, classroom teacher thought that I had some leadership and, and communication ability. And she told me, actually in front of the whole class, that one day I, w- I was either going to be the Prime Minister of New Zealand or uh, a national news reader. Well, neither of those predictions seems likely to eventuate now. But the fact is, we don't know what people will do with their lives. Mary wasn't from a family of note or or prominence. She wasn't especially well-educated. As far as we know, she wasn't renowned for being a leader or a shaper of people's thinking. She was really a veritable nobody. She was chosen by God from total obscurity for a very special mission. The angel said to her, Mary, you have found favor with God. I mean, the the, the most obvious implication is that God had been watching Mary, unbeknown to her as she went about her routines of life, not assuming much of anything about her future. God was watching her. Well, Here's a rather sobering thought. If God was watching Mary, a no one special from an obscure part of our planet, maybe God is watching us too. Or to put that another way, if we were to employ the imagery of a, of a talent scout, God's attention is not only caught or held by those with a, a high profile, those who are predicted most likely to succeed. No, God watches the quiet ones too, who work behind the scenes, who don't perform for recognition. I I love the story of a a group of tourists that were traveling through a a European village and uh, one of them walked up to an old man sitting by the side of the road who obviously was a native of that little area and uh, asked him in, I guess, a patronizing tone, Was anybody famous born in this village? To which the old man replied, Nope, only babies. Now, great achievers or or famous people or leaders of revolutions or world-renowned inventors or brilliant artists, they're not born great. You cannot organize the gene pool for greatness or significance 
In fact, usually it's the complete opposite. The people who do the most amazing things, they, they, they so often come from the most unlikely of situations. I mean, Mary isn't the only character in the Bible to be sovereignly chosen by God out of obscurity for special responsibility. The, the Bible is actually full of stories of God using the most unlikely of people to do the most amazing things. I mean, Moses, for instance, was a, a runaway murderer with a speech impediment. Uh, Joseph was a, well, he was a long-term prison inmate. Uh, Ruth was a foreigner. Uh, Esther was a slave. Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, David was the forgotten youngest son in a large family. Uh, Jeremiah was a philosopher with serious mental health issues, certainly in the area of depression. And, and Peter, well, he was a bombastic fisherman and possibly a coward. Matthew was a dishonest inland revenue officer, and, and Paul the Apostle was a, a hater and a persecutor of Christians. Now, I reckon there's a principle here that's worth grasping. God doesn't select great people to do ordinary things. He selects ordinary people to do great things in the power of his Spirit. And I guess that means that every single one of us is useful in God's big cause. No exceptions. The Apostle Paul would later write these words describing how every single one of us is useful in God's mission. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God chooses to show his glory through all of us, on both men and women, young and old, educated and uneducated, white-collar, blue-collar workers, irrespective of race and life experience, the Spirit of God manifests himself. Ordinary, obscure, least likely to succeed people, just like you and me, receive an empowering anointing from God to serve in his cause. Well, maybe a second lesson we could learn is that God's assignments, they're not necessarily the path of least resistance. Being favored by God and given a special assignment does not necessarily mean it will be easy. When we look back on the life of Mary with 2,000 years of history, it's, it's tempting to romanticize her life. We, we, we paint her picture in our minds with a kind of surreal halo around her head, but that's actually not true to the text. The call of God to motherhood actually led Mary into serious conflict and heartache. I mean, if the rumors were true and she had been sexually promiscuous, uh, according to the law, she could have been stoned to death or publicly humiliated. And if Joseph had divorced her, it would have meant huge ignominy. Let alone the difficulty of trying to bring up a child on her own in that culture. Now, having gotten over the shock of the angelic visitation, my hunch is Mary probably didn't run around perpetually jumping for joy at what God was asking of her. Now, some of our 
uh, our quaint romanticism about Mary, I think, needs to be you know, can, needs to be tempered. We, we sometimes let it get in the way of the actual story. That this was a tough assignment. The the task of motherhood that God was asking of her was well, not only that she live with ambiguity and innuendo and suspicion, she would later watch her son rejected and reviled and and ultimately nailed to a cross. There's a school of thought that suggests that when you are in the center of God's will, everything goes well for you. You To be obedient and righteous, to be called, means that God is with you and fights all your battles. On the other side of that coin, if you encounter difficulty or opposition or persecution, well, that must mean something has gone wrong. Calamity or, or hardship or stress must be, well, that must be caused by sin, either yours or someone else's, and it's a sign that you're out of the will of God. Well, that, that's a view of life that's actually not true to either the Bible or reality. I mean, we, we do our best to do good and to be righteous, But we must not assume that being true to God's call is the path of least resistance. Sometimes doing what God asks of us brings us into more conflict and hardship, not less. Followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have often been thoroughly misunderstood for what they stand for and sometimes mercilessly persecuted. Sometimes doing what God asks of us is darn hard work. But being a, a mother, and especially a, a mother to Jesus, was, was not always a euphoric blessing. That there were times when, well, she wondered if her son had lost his mind. She probably wished that he'd keep his mouth shut a bit more often. She watched him rile the religious leaders and challenge their hypocrisy. And as I say, then she watched her firstborn son suffer the most horrendous abuse and cruel death. Now, we can sometimes resent the assignment that God gives us. We don't need the pressure or the stress. Well, sometimes, actually, the best results do require endurance of a little stress and discomfort and tiredness, rather than selfishly opting to only walk down easy street. Diamonds, they're fashioned in between a rock and a hard place. Pearls are formed by the the rasping grit of sand in the shell. And it was Jesus who said that to be one of his followers means living a counterculture lifestyle. We we march to the beat of a different drum than the culture that we live amongst. Jesus predicted it would happen, and he even suggested that we should rejoice in the face of it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There may be a third lesson is that Mary modeled the right response to God. 
Now, I, I don't know how you respond to an angelic visitation. I, I, I think it might actually freak me out. I mean, verse 20 says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, th- I mean, th- this description of Mary's initial response to the angel, I, I think, is possibly one of the, the greatest literary understatements of all time. She was probably paralyzed with fear. But, but, but she listened to what the angel Gabriel had to say. And there was a sense that God was speaking to her, that there were obviously questions that came to mind in terms of biological logistics. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Well, when the angel explained what would happen, in the end, there was Mary's response. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. You see, when God asks something of us, how how do we respond? Do we say yes? Or do we hesitate? Perhaps equivocate? Serving God is not normally a matter of negotiation. We, We don't negotiate the terms of the contract. While we sometimes refer to uh, Christian faith as having a, a friendship relationship with God, that, that doesn't imply an equality of standing. It, at, at best, it's actually like the relationship between a benevolent master and a servant. In fact, the Apostle Paul often re- referred to himself as a, a willing slave of Christ. Well, slaves don't have negotiated rights. It's been suggested that the most common prayer in the world is, Thy will be changed. (laughs) In other words, God, do you really know what you're doing? Maybe I could modify what you're asking. By contrast, it's been suggested the world's greatest prayer is, Thy will be done. I mean, that's how Jesus prayed, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he emotionally pondered the cost of the cross and in the end he submitted to the the will of his Father even at the cost of immense suffering and anguish. And most probably when Mary said these words of faith and response, she didn't fully understand all that it would entail. And, well, that's true for us as well. We say, yes to God for what we see, but we don't know all that our yes might actually lead us into. Mary could see a a little bit into the future, but not all the way. And yet her response, I think, is a model to us of surrender to God's lordship. We surrender control and we let God take over the management of our lives. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We swap from the driving seat to the passenger seat. We relinquish control. We stop plotting our own course in favor of letting God map out our future. When we come to crossroads or choices in life, we we don't just make our own decisions on our own. We we pray, we, we listen for God's advice, and we We read the record of his dealings with people like us that we find in the Bible. And then we we choose to obey his direction, even if at the time we can't fully understand it. So in closing, 
I, I wonder what it might be that God is asking of you and me at the moment. Maybe as we look ahead to beyond these uh, unusual days of a, of a world pandemic. Today being Mother's Day, can I hold up to us the example of an unknown, innocent teenage girl who lived in an insignificant part of our world, who was asked by God to be the mother of the Son of God, an assignment that carried a huge price and would lead her through the deepest seasons of anguish and grief, an assignment she probably didn't fully understand at the time, but her response was unequivocal. May it be to me as you say, she said to the Lord. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.